This is Hallway Chats, where we meet people who use WordPress. We ask questions, and our guests share their stories, ideas, and perspectives. And now the conversation begins. This is episode 59. Welcome to Hallway Chats. I'm Liam Dempsey. And I'm Tara Clays. Today we're joined by Dan Bile. Dan has been working with WordPress since about 2009 and has loved every minute in seconds of it. He has been a freelancer, in-house developer, and remote employee. When he's not coding, Dan spends time working on his house and playing with his two Siberian Huskies. Hey, Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Dan, it's our pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks for making the time for us today. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself more than what Tara just shared, please? Yeah, definitely. So I'm uh, born and raised uh, in Minnesota, currently living in Minneapolis, um, and I love it. Um, A fun fact about me is that I have not driven my car since 2016. So, you know, Minneapolis is a pretty small city, uh, pretty easy to get around with, with buses and and taxis and Ubers or Lyfts or whatnot. So that's that's really nice. I'm about three miles south of downtown, so always a bunch of fun stuff to do and, and good restaurants to eat at and meetups and, and whatnot. So it's always fun. I've heard great things about Minneapolis, but I've never been. How um, Was this a conscious, intentional decision not to drive a car there? Are you trying to be good to the environment, or what's your motivation for that? I mean... To be honest, everything that I actually need, like a grocery store or convenience store, is within three blocks of my home. So I can just walk to them um, and and grab whatever I need, uh, which is nice. And, you know, I have kind of a heavy-duty wheelbarrow that I can take to the hardware store to buy dog food or anything heavy. I like that. That's really cool. So let me ask you this, because I know if I this was in your situation where I could afford kind of logistically not to drive, I wouldn't do anything to my car until I needed it. And then, you know, I hadn't driven it in 18 months. It wouldn't start. Do you have have it up on blocks, preserving the tire and you've drained the oil and you disconnected the battery and did all the kind of prep work so that your, your car is ready to go when you need it? You know, it actually happened really in, unintentionally. So, no, I haven't done any of that stuff. Like, uh, the battery's dead. It won't start right now. So I need to get a new battery for it just, you know, just in case the apocalypse happens and <laughs> I need, need to, to drive you know. south in a hurry, right? Yeah. So, so I was in Minneapolis uh, for a couple of uh, conferences uh, uh, a couple of years in a row, and I have some relatives that live up, not in Minneapolis proper, but greater Minneapolis. And I was really surprised. Uh, we went to a fantastic restaurant, and it was just probably not far from where you live, because I know we were south of, of the downtown area, and it was quite literally a, a very short row of retail shops in a suburban neighborhood. And there was this really fantastic Latino restaurant and right next to like an antique store and right next to uh, something else. And it was really surprised by the kind of big city feel of the suburbs in the sense that, you know, in a big city, you'll have all sorts of different shops 
smack dab in the middle of a retail place. But in most suburbs, you have the strip malls and you have the, you know, the, the big box stores out of the way. Uh, is Minneapolis kind of generally like that, where they intersperse kind of those, uh, I'll call them cultural diamonds, uh, those nice little finds that, that you normally would get in the city, but you might find it out in the suburbs? Yeah, I, I think so. Like my neighborhood is very, very mixed race, um, which which I love because you run into all type of foods um, and just different experiences on a daily basis. You know, there's a high African-American population, high Somali population, high Mexican population in my neighborhood. Um, and so you get all of those cultures kind of interacting together and and the entrepreneurs that come along with that, whether it's restaurants or stores or, or whatnot. Um, and I love that experience. I think that everybody should experience that at some point in their life if they, if they haven't. Yeah. That I, I've heard that about Minneapolis, that it is, um, a, a cultural, um, it's very culturally wealthy there. So I'm glad that you live in a place where you can enjoy that. Dan, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with WordPress in Minneapolis? I think there's a good community there for WordPress, but are you involved in that? And, and tell us a little bit about your story and how you got involved with WordPress. Yeah, definitely. So it's actually funny. Um, I randomly went to a uh, my first WordPress meetup, actually, and I gave a talk about um, combining BuddyPress with S2 members. Yep, um, membership plugin, yep. Yep. Which, by the way, is not an easy thing to do. So I'm mostly a back-end developer. I also do most of you know, the HTML, CSS, JavaScript for, for theming as well. But uh, Kiko Doran, if you're familiar with him, Happened yep, to be. That's why I was in Minneapolis going to the conferences that he and Josh Broughton put on. Nice. Uh, he was in the audience and he was one of the lead organizers for WordCamp that year. And after my presentation, he said, Dan, you have to give this talk at WordCamp. And I'm okay. Um, and I gave the talk and went to the speaker dinner. Uh, met some people in the community that, that really encouraged me to continue speaking and, and doing stuff like that. So over the years I've, I've done about 13 to 15 talks, uh, continued to be primarily a backend developer, um, always a remote worker. So I've, I've done a lot of, you know, data art architecture stuff, a lot of meta box, a lot of custom post type mm -hmm. tricky stuff. Are you a self-taught or did you study development in school? What's your, what's your, how did you find yourself doing development in the first place and, and finding WordPress? <laughs> That's a great question. Thank you. Um, so my formal education is actually in applied sociology. Um, I actually did half of my master's in sociology as well. I have a certificate in nonprofit leadership. So no formal education in, in coding. Uh, but through my bachelor years, I just kind of tinkered around with HTML and CSS and, you know, made little sites that, that never really did anything. Since then, I dropped out of my master's program for various reasons. And I started playing poker full time for about eight months. 
Wow. That's so, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, during the good times, I just walk around with like three grand on me and not even care about it. During the bad times, it would be like 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, it's kind of a hard life to, to live well. Yeah. You see it in movies, um, but it actually is a real thing. Yeah. No, that's basically how it goes. Um, but I met a lot of people, you know, you go to the casino every day, you're playing poker with the same people every day, you make friends and things like that. And one of them asked me to make a website for them. I think I charged him like 500 bucks for, for the first website. And other people kind of found out and I started to build a network around being a developer. Um, and I started making more money building websites with WordPress than I was uh, playing poker. So that was kind of a, a pretty easy decision to make. Ken, <laughs> let me ask you, were those initial WordPress builds, was that you doing like child theming work or were you already at that point getting into customization or were you just kind of uh, website production where you find the theme and maybe you tweak this and maybe you tweak that, but mostly you just put it together because you know how to do that. Where, where did you get started with WordPress? So at the beginning, a lot of it, um, I think is a pretty typical story of, you know, installing a theme doing some, some type of custom CSS work to, to make it work for them. I don't think I even knew what a child theme was at that point. So it was, you know, a lot of, implementation work, I guess I would say. Cool, 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 cool. I imagine you probably uh, hacked core at some point. That seems to be what all of us do when we get started until it gets overwritten for the third time and we say, maybe we shouldn't do that. Hmm. I've never hacked core. I have hacked themes. Well, then you're better than I, that's for sure. I've hacked both. So Dan, you you you've talked about uh, in the intro that you you've worked for uh, in a, for agencies. You've talked about working in freelance. You've talked about uh, all, that you've always worked as a remote employee. And I wonder if you can just share your experience about the maybe some of the pluses and some of the minuses of both freelancing versus in housing. Uh, always as a remote employee. So the remote employer, remote worker is the constant and what 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 what's been the the difference for you between the two between freelancing and in-housing and what's worked and what's hasn't yeah that's a that's a great question um to start with freelancing um there's a there's an unknowable to freelancing like if a project wraps up and you don't have another one lined up you you don't really know what's coming next <clears throat> excuse me and that can be that can be very stressful, because um, you know you're doing all of, probably all of the development, um, maybe some of the design, marketing yourself, doing your own taxes, um, basically running your own business by yourself. Um, and most of those things I actually don't like doing. You know, I, I want to be developing, I want to have client contact and, and have, you know, a say over how the project direction goes, which you don't always get when you're freelancing. <coughs> Excuse me, something in my throat. 
when it comes to going in-house, um, all of that is lifted off your shoulders. On top sure. of the fact that you get to work with a team, I've had the pleasure to work with, um, you know, Alien Interactive, Crowd Favorite, Web Dev Studios, get to know all of the partners at that company and, and many of their developers. And I, you just learn so much more when you're working with a team and going through official code reviews. Um, I still joke with uh, Joe Casabona about how he blocked my CSS because I didn't put my because I didn't put the properties in alphabetical order. So what do you mean he blocked it? Like he commented it out so it didn't go into production, or because that sounds like Joe <laughs> in a good way. I love him. <clears throat> no, definitely in a good way. No, it's just you know something goes through a formal code review and somebody else on the team picks it up and he says, no, this is not going live until you make this change. Um, so it's kind of honor system. And it was funny because I was actually his superior at the time. So, so that, so that group, that, that camaraderie, that, 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 that cohort of learning, I, I get that. It's very easy to get dependent on that in a good way. Right. You know, it's, it's like I bang my head against this bit of code for two hours or I can ping somebody on Slack and Hey, Dan, didn't you do this last week or last month? Oh yeah, it's a little bit different, but if you think about it this way, you can get to where you need. Oh, thank you. Done. Yeah. Duh. Why didn't I think of that? So that's really helpful. Um, let me, let me walk you over to one of our, our more signature questions if I can, because we, we've talked a little bit about how you got into WordPress, into your career, and we've, we've talked about uh, the differences, the different environments in which you've lived, uh, worked, I'm sorry. And I want to I ask you about your definition of success. How would you define success? What is your personal or professional definition, or maybe it's a combo of both? I think it is a combination of both. Um, My short answer would be personal happiness. Like you need to, you need to find that. <clears throat> whether that's, whether you find that through your profession or through work-life balance, as cliche as that is, is up to the individual. Um, I mean, being financially independent is obviously a, a step in the right direction, but is not always possible for everyone. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily include that in success, but I think it helps with the, you know, finding that personal happiness. Yeah. I think money can't buy you happiness is what, you know, is the, the cliche term. Um, but certainly if you are under a lot of financial stress, it, it's hard to be, happy so i think yeah having enough money to live on adds to that yeah i like to say money can't buy happiness but it can stave off unhappiness it will never keep it away permanently but it holds it off so dan the the, per, the personal happiness is is a good one because it's it's detailed enough to kind of really get to the heart of the matter but it's sufficiently open to allow individuality as to get it nailed into the specifics of what is personal happiness. What does that mean for Dan? What does that mean for Tara? What does that mean for Liam? And 
at the risk of, of going deeper than, than maybe any of us are comfortable, maybe I'll ask you is what does personal happiness mean to you? And if, 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 if you're okay with answering that, maybe I'll ask you what is the single most important thing you do every day to achieve or maintain that personal happiness? I step away from the keyboard. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, so I step away from the keyboard, and I think that that's important because developers and designers often get so laser-focused on a problem that they don't see the big picture. You know, it's like the standing too close to an elephant. You can't see it's an elephant. So taking time away, I think, is, is very important for me. Um, for better or worse, I'm a smoker. So about once an hour, I go outside and have smoke. So it's kind of easy to, to walk around my backyard, walk in circles with my dogs and maybe contemplate a problem that I'm, I'm trying to code rather than trying to code fast. I try to code right. So that's one thing that helps me is just kind of taking that time away, checking out at 5 p.m. or 4 4 p.m. or whatever, and just zoning out, watching TV, doing whatever, just not coding. Giving yourself the opportunity to get perspective. Right, right. Yeah, I, th I think that's valuable. I think it is not necessarily just with design or development, but life. It's easy to lose the forest for the trees and uh, meet this deadline and get this task done and clean this room and uh in, in our home and get ready for this engagement and forget that the purpose of life is more than meeting deadlines and targets and milestones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think one of the more important thing or most important things is if you're working with a team, you need to be in a, um, I heard this phrase from Aaron or Aaron O'Neill, a non blaming environment. Yeah, as, a as a developer, if something goes wrong, and especially if it goes through code review, it's the company's fault. It's not the developer's fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's the buck stops here type of idea. But it's also hard when, if you're the one who's made the mistake to feel you're still part of the team, whether you're making a mistake or not. But that's where your pausing idea comes into play as well, I think, where you kind of have to stop and take a step back and and be gentle to yourself and other people. Sometimes when you're stressed out in a rush and a flurry, it's easy to um, lay blame or, or lay blame on yourself or other people. So I think that's that's a very good point. So Dan, let me let me let me ask you this then. So within the world of backend development, what's your favorite thing to do? I really love uh, actually kind of two things. I guess I'll say one data migration. Oh man, just crazy! Really? To say. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> um, and data architecture. Data architecture. I get. I can see why that's appealing. Talk to me about uh, data migration. Because that, I mean, I get that it's a challenge and there's a lot of hurdles there, but that's, that's a mixture of massive headaches and little hiccups and little hiccups kind of at every bend. And especially, you know, everybody configures their WordPress site a little bit differently, especially if you're working on more complex builds and how we're going to move it into this. So, so talk to me about that. What, 
What about that migration process, those challenges? Works for your brain, works for your soul, works for you. What brings you happiness? So it's funny. Um, when I was interviewing for Web Dev Studios, Brad Williams said that was the first time he ever heard a developer say that. As it turns out, my, my personal pet project is a WPCLI JSON migration script because I got bored and I decided to write it and I got sick of asking clients for a database all the time. So if the client happened to leave the API open, I could just hit their site and get everything. And it just kind of spiraled out of control. And I learned more and more about um, one, WPCLI, and two, about uh, the JSON API. So I just kept going and going and going and going and going. And it's just a really interesting problem to solve because as you, as you noted, um, everything's a little bit different. So I've actually kind of paused my work on it while I'm waiting for uh, Gutenberg to drop because I have no idea how they're going to deal with metadata. You're not going to get any insight about that on this show, I'm afraid. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone knows how they're going to deal with metadata at this point. Uh, well, they've got until a few more weeks to before 5.0 <laughs> comes out to get that all resolved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I like that. It, that 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 no mountain is the same and uh you just never know what you're going to find and there's there's really never you can never know too much, right? There's always going to be some previous developer who has built something that you've never seen before that you've got to how to figure out how to connect their data to yours or grab your data. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's pretty common that no migration goes correct the first time. Mm. Yeah. You have to be prepared for that. Uh, I have a question for you. I want to talk a little bit going back to the idea of um, working with a team and, and how to do that. I think that's something that, is a learning curve in and of itself. I, I work mostly by myself. Many of the people we've had on our show work for themselves or by themselves. Um, and some, some work on teams. And I'm always curious about how you learn that skill. If you learn it, if you, if your background, your background was not in, um, in development, you taught yourself that. So, having worked on a team and worked for yourself, what's your preference and, and what's your sort of, what's your take on working on a, on a team versus working by yourself? So I vastly prefer to work with a team because I think that there are things that I'm not good at, right? Like I don't do backbone. I don't do angular. I don't do, you know, front end JavaScript frameworks and stuff like that. So being able to assemble a team where People can have different uh, specialties and kind of lean on each other when they're needed, I think is makes a project so much better, especially when you're working at scale. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. There's also a camaraderie too. I've seen, you know, there's a lot of talk about mental health in, in our community and sort of the isolation and loneliness that can come with working alone that I imagine, even if you're working remotely, if you're on a team, you're still in touch with people on a regular basis. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of, actually all of the teams that I've been on or led 
have had like a private Slack channel where we can just kind of chop it out and be ourselves. And I think that that's important to you have some type of human interaction um, on a day-to-day basis, even if it's only over Slack or a Zoom call or whatnot. Yeah, the human inter- interaction is is not uh, to be taken lightly or to be minimized. It's uh, it, it's pretty valuable. And speaking of human interaction, let me let me ask you another one of our signature questions, Dan. What is the single most valuable piece of advice that you have ever received and implemented in your life? And that advice can be personal, it can be professional, maybe it's a mix of both. So what if somebody told you that you liked and you implemented successfully? I think I would say that someone once told me that I am not my code. It just is. It's not personal. It's not anything. It's just something I wrote, but it is not me. So if somebody critiques it or says something, it's not a personal attack on me. It's just code. I like that. I, I, I'm a very self-conscious person. So I think that when you're writing code and it's something that people can view and look at, it'd be very easy to define yourself that way. So that's great advice. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And just to explore that a little bit, right? I mean, if we think about anything we do in life, you know, we have good days and we have bad days and we have focused days and we have, you know, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel days. And because of the way our society works, where we spend the bulk of our awake day working, that inevitably, whether we write code or we write poetry or we paint walls or we fix cars, you know, some days where it's not up to snuff, um, but it still has to get done and it's the best we did that day. And I think separating our actions from who we are is hugely important because they are reflective of us. They're indicative of who we are, but they're absolutely not who we are. And the simplicity of I am not my code is really brilliant. I think it goes back to that personal happiness definition of success where it's succinct enough as to be very clear what you mean, but open enough as to be applicable to people in all walks of life. So that's great advice. Whoever gave you that advice, thank you. Dan, we have, we've got about a minute or so left, maybe a couple of minutes. And I wonder if, if you can talk about uh, your biggest challenge to date. You've talked about uh, the challenges and how you like the data migration. Uh, you've talked about working with a team and you've talked about working outside of a team uh, as a freelancer. And maybe you could just spend a, maybe a minute or so talking about what's been your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it or how are you working on it if it's an ongoing challenge for you? So I think uh, professionally, the biggest challenge I went through was when I took my first in-house job, I had push access to the New York Post on my third day, which really scared me. And just on a tangent, I was working on a PC at the time. So I pulled the repo down do like a tiny CSS fix, try to push the repo back up. And because I was on a PC, I turned the entire project red. Like it said, everything changed. Oh, snap. And this is, I mean, this is a very large VIP site. Wow. Yeah, I had like VIP access on my third day of work, which was awesome. But 
so I actually sent the repo over to somebody that was on a Mac and everything was fine. It was just one CSS file. It was like file ending differences that SVN picked up. And that terrified me. Like I thought I was getting fired. Like the company flew me out to New York. I'm working right next to them. If I get fired, are they going to pay for my plane ticket home? I don't know. I can only imagine what your stress levels were. Yeah. And something snapped in me after that. And it kind of goes back to the you are not your code idea that everyone makes mistakes. And if you make a mistake, just raise your hand and say, who knows how to fix this? You own it. You hope you're in a non-blaming environment and you hope somebody knows what went wrong. So yeah, that's I mean, great. I love that. I was going to mention the non-blaming environment because I, yeah. in order to feel safe enough to say, Hey, guess what I did? Uh, you need to know that you're not going to get, you know, beaten or chastised unnecessarily for that. Yeah. And so I, I think that having, somehow learned that philosophy or those philosophies is, is kind of the answer to your question. And it's a good answer. I like that. So with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and wrap us up because we are out of time. But Dan, before we say goodbye to you, let me uh, ask you to share with us and with our listeners where people can find you online, please. Yeah, you can find me online at adactiondan.me and on Twitter at add action Dan with underscores between each word, um, which is where I spend most of my time. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dan. Really appreciate having you on and getting to know you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate your time today out here in the hallway. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening to the show. We sure hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you like what we're doing here, meeting new people in our WordPress community, we invite you to tell others about it. We're on iTunes and at hallwaychats.com. Better yet, ask your WordPress friends and colleagues to join us on the show. Encourage them to complete the Beyond the Show form on our site to tell us about themselves.